It's go time. Kai Loxley has found a new home, and the Elks and the Red Blocks make a trade. Welcome, everyone, to Third Down Gamble. Don Charbert along with Heath Graham and Pat Mooney, and we're glad to have you back with us for another week. Kyle Oxley didn't take long for him to wind up somewhere after his sudden departure from Edmonton. Question in a lot of people's minds, given how it ended in Edmonton, is... Kyle Loxley, an environment that was not a great fit for him. We can and will discuss further the quarterback situation with the Edmonton Elks. I believe that the uncertainty played a big part in that, and... A frustration level was reached where he essentially had enough. It doesn't look good on his resume the way things ended ended in Edmonton, but it can be dismissed as a, a situation that was not a great fit. You also wonder if it's a communication issue. Uh, Kyle Oxley, we know, wanted to be quarterback. Uh, Edmonton had him playing last year as only their short yardage quarterback, but this year they gave him more of an opportunity. So I think he felt he deserved the opportunity to start when Deggie started ahead of him. Obviously, it started to cause some problems. It, uh, according to reports, and I was at the game, although I didn't happen to notice it myself, that he was sort of separated from the team by his own choice. And when the time came to go for third down and short, Deggie, I know, came over to the sideline and suddenly was turning around and going back into the huddle. That report that we got from a couple different sources is that Loxley had said, no, I'm not going back in. And that pretty much ended his tour with the Elks right there. If Hamilton is okay with all of this, then fine. I think he's got a great upside. Absolutely. It's just a little bit concerning when that's how you leave a team, that another team has to really look at it and say, okay, is he focused on what we need him to be right now? Uh, I don't blame Loxley for wanting to be a starting quarterback. Who doesn't when you've got the opportunity? But you've got to be aware of the big picture, I guess. A lot of the locker room is built on cohesion and culture and how you fit into that system. And we have heard the Edmonton Elks over the last few seasons talk about players that were not a cultural fit with the team, whatever that may be. There's been players cut in the past this is another situation and I don't know that the Chris Jones system is working the way he had envisioned it to be when he took over as head coach and GM of the Elks. It appears to be some issues there that need resolution. And right now it's a team in chaos and a team that is struggling to not only win games, but to, to score points in general. It, it definitely is a, a situation right now where you start to question how effective the coaches are being in the choices that they're making. We've seen Chris Jones turn a team around very quickly, but this year he put all of his eggs on the quarterbacks that he had, and to date that hasn't worked out with them. Now, whether that's quarterback or whether that's system, you can say Chris Jones has also put all of his eggs in with McAdoo as his offensive coordinator as well. And to date, really the offense has struggled, but the last game, which we'll speak about later, all three phases of the game struggled for the O. Stephen McAdoo is not the problem. He's developed and worked with quarterbacks that were MOP candidates throughout his tenure. That's not the issue. I, I will defend him because 
I look at his numbers and I look at what quarterbacks did under him. Cody Fajardo, Michael Riley. You just go up and down. They all perform at a high level when he's the guy calling the plays. One thing that Chris Jones said at his press conference with the or on the Edmonton Elks YouTube channel was that they said they're going to start to go back to basics. They're going to start to simplify things. And maybe the playbook was a little bit too wide and they have to narrow it a, somewhat. Now that Cornelius is back, one of the questions tossed to him was that does Cornelius have to move the pocket? And Jones said flat out that's his choice to do it when he sees fit to do so if the pressure is coming. So it's not like there's a design to keep him wedged in that pocket. He can move side to side if he wants. He's chosen not to. He has every opportunity to cut the field in half and move away from it. He also has the escapability and and can gain yards with his legs. We haven't seen so much of it this year as we did last year, but when things start to break down and he tucks and runs, he is a phenomenal runner. He's quick. He's got a long stride and can eat up yards. And that's something that they maybe need to get his confidence back in the run game and his ability to take off and and make plays with his feet. We haven't seen that since he had the spleen injury last year. And in fact, he hasn't really bounced back from that to date. So is is it a mental issue? Is it a physical issue? I guess that remains to be seen. I think it's the Cody Fajardo situation in a different form. Fajardo, of course, hurt his knee playing for the Rough Riders last year. We'll get into what Montreal did on the weekend. You can tell that there's some gun shyness. There's there's timidity. I can totally understand the Cornelius situation because that was a scary outcome for him after that hit. Enoch Mwamba, nothing dirty about the hit at all, but he caught him in a vulnerable spot. The fact that he had that happen to him certainly is going to weigh on his mind because any sort of catastrophic moment in your life is going to make you a little bit shy about what you want to do next time when confronted with that situation. And for him, that's rolling out and taking off. He's got to be better in terms of reading when you need to slide. One of the things that he can be accused of, and I think quite rightly so, is that he tends to take on the linebacker or the defensive half. You don't need to do that. You, you need to get down when the opportunity is there to save yourself. The Elks also made news by trading Kevin Francis, a linebacker who is basically a special teams player at this point in his career, to Ottawa. The Red Blacks send back a fourth-round pick in the 2024 draft. Ottawa looking for help on special teams, although their special teams is great, but a very disgruntled player leaves Edmonton. Kevin Francis had not shown up, had been on the suspended list for a while. He's now out of Edmonton. Not everybody's going to fit a system, so Ottawa may be a better landing spot for him. This might speak again to the cultural locker room issues that the Elks are experiencing. To be a fly on the wall in that locker room to hear how things are going, uh, a team now winless through three games on the season, frustration has to be setting in. I certainly expected more from the Elks to start this season than they have shown, and I'm sure every player in that locker room expected more as well. So this may be the tip of the iceberg in hearing more frustration and more players wanting out of that team. It remains to be seen how the rest of the season is going to go, but they need to find something quick if they're going to make a push for the playoffs. 
I'm not so sure that they need to press a panic button. The Elks, yes, they're on a huge losing streak that goes back to last year. And ironically, they're going to the one stadium that they last won in September of last year. So since September 16th of 2022, the Elks haven't won anywhere. It doesn't matter where they've played. This could be the litmus test for Jones right here and now. This could be it. If you think back to his second year in Saskatchewan, they had a really rough first year. We all know that. But in year two, as they were starting to turn the corner, they started one and three and then started to move forward. Right now they're 0-4. This is probably make or break game for the Elks in terms of where this season is going to go. Even for the Rough Riders, you could argue that as well. They've crossed paths once. The Riders came away with it, especially because of a a goal line stand. Kyle Oxley ironically plays into that. If the Rough Riders win, they win the season series. Elks are in the dust. If the Elks win, the season series is tied. They've got one more game in September in Regina, and suddenly the Elks are a factor. The Elks do need to make a change now, and I agree with you, Don. I think this game is really a precipice for them because if they're not able to take this game, where can they get a game? I was expecting Ottawa might be one of their best chances, and you know they were favored for that game, but the way they played, I have trouble seeing them beat anyone right now. Now, if they can come and turn that around and, and play a, a game where they're very strong in the game, have the potential to win, then maybe that gives them some hope moving forward and we might see a team that starts to develop a bit of confidence. But if not, I think Heath could be right. There could be a lot of issues in, in terms of culture, in terms of the locker room, in terms of confidence in themselves and the coaching that they have. If they lose this game against Saskatchewan this week, they'll be behind three teams with three wins already in that West division, plus Calgary, depending on what happens in the Calgary-Winnipeg game. You're already putting yourself behind. As you mentioned, He would they would lose the season series already to the Rough Riders. They're not going to win a tiebreaker situation there. And then the other teams you're chasing are BC and Winnipeg. And do you think you're going to win a season series against either one of them the way you're playing right now? They're going to be 0-5 if they lose on Thursday. You're right, Heath, though. As Pat alluded, where where do you find a win? They, they The one thing for the Elks that has happened to them, unfortunately, at the beginning of the season is that they've had two short weeks where they've had to play within five days. And one, of course, was against Ottawa where they had to travel a couple of time zones to the east. You can make that as a huge excuse. Nobody on a short week has won yet this season. Now they play on a series of Thursdays, but they've got the Blue Bombers, the Lions in that mix. At some point, you got to beat somebody that matters. And if you don't, then you just stay where you are. The schedule has certainly not been favorable for them. This is the second week in a row where they're going to be getting a team coming off the bye. And uh, that team has the ability to prepare a lot more than they do on those short weeks. So they've had a real tough go to begin with. Um, That's something that I think, you know, Victor Cooey and, and the individuals involved maybe could have voiced something if there was opportunity to change when the, when the schedule first came out. But the schedule is what it is, so you, you do have to compete. They had opportunities, and they just haven't been able to do what they need to do to pull out a win at this point. Depending on what happens with Hamilton, that's Edmonton's next opponent, and it's at home. They could knock off both scenarios with one fell swoop. Bigger question for them is what do they do against the Rough Riders? We'll get to that in third down. 
more news out of the CFL. And this is something that it came out of the stats package, which is, I thought, really interesting. Kind of a hidden little note. But the number of plays per game since 2017 has been steadily declining. To me, is a, a significant change in terms of what is happening on the field. And I'm, again, I'm the massive proponent of a hard and fast return to play clock. Like the NFL has a 40 second clock. We don't need it that long. 32 seconds is more than enough when it's a tackle in the field. And I'll give you an example. The game between Winnipeg and British Columbia. This is, I believe, in the third quarter. Winnipeg goes for it on third and one. They make the first down. The players on pile. Everybody gets reset. By the time they blow the whistle in, it's 38 seconds later. That was a one-yard dive, and it took 38 seconds to unpile, set the ball, and then have the two teams separate enough so that they could blow time in? Uh-uh. No way. If that was ball, the whistle is blown, boom. You turn on the 32-second clock, guys ain't going to dawdle hanging out in the pit. They're going to move because they got to get to the next play. This is where you've got to get into a hard and fast clock. The other example I'll give to you is the game between British Columbia and Toronto. During the game, Rick Campbell is fuming at the head official for not giving him enough time to make substitutions. Again, you're putting all the pressure on the head official to determine when that 20-second clock should be called in. No. Make it hard and fast. You've got 32. Doesn't matter what that head official is doing over there. You can't talk to him anymore. Let him focus on the game. Bring it to 32 seconds. This would only be on plays where the clock would normally be running. Okay, This has nothing to do with penalties, scores, anything in the last three minutes, thing like that. That would go back to the 20-second clock. But when the game is in its flow, 32 seconds, that's more than enough time. It does mean a little bit of hustle, but isn't that part of the CFL sort of ideology or mystique is that we're, this is a faster game? It is. We certainly do try to brag about the 20-second clock, but in reality, it's it's not as fast as we would like it to be. There, there seems to be this shift in pretty much all of the major sports that there's more time wasted. And Major League Baseball has addressed that this year by bringing in a pitch clock. Love it or hate it, it has shaved, I believe, around 18 minutes off of the average baseball game. So it's proven to be faster. The last two or three minutes of a NBA basketball game is excruciating to watch with the amount of, of stops and starts. And the CFL and NFL are, are, fall victim to it as well in the amount of time it takes to get reset and get something going. If we wanted to really focus and market the CFL as a faster game, we need to get that ball in play. I, I'm with you on this one. The amount of time wasted dawdling around and, and celebrating and whatever the case may be can be better served getting back to the line of scrimmage, getting the ball down and getting a play back in action. I also agree wholeheartedly. I'd love to see more plays during the course of the game. I love when teams on offense towards the end of second quarter or fourth quarter particularly get into that hurry up offense and they're able to execute plays efficiently and quickly and and that's fun to watch if we had that more throughout the game i think that would be much better in 
the CFL, as in other sports, we see more and more specialization and players rotating in for specific situations, particularly on defense right now. And I think if we were to speed up that clock, you might stop some of those rotations from happening, which could result in more offense as well, which is something the CFL has tried to address with rule changes. So hopefully that they will consider this at some point and we can move forward to get more plays back in the game. 153.3 on average per game in 2017, 146.1 as we start 2023. It's not quite 10, but it's certainly moving toward it. The whole idea that I want is that A, yes, speed up the play and let's get more plays, but B, get that pressure away from the head official as to when that's to start the 22nd clock. If it comes off a timeout or a touchdown or an injury or something like that where the game clock is stopped, then it's fine. He can look around. He's not wasting anybody's time except that is simplified where this business right now where they're umpiling players and everybody's got to get back to their huddle and then the defense wants to make substitutions and the offense has to do it first and it's just ah, enough is enough like force them to make their minds up quit dawdling if you're you're a head coach in a professional football league by this time you should know how important it is to make up your mind quickly Tyree Adams after winning the game for Ottawa last week and playing much of the rest of the game after a hit from uh, Edmonton defensive lineman Jake Ceresna has now been ruled out of the rest of the season with an ACL injury that they believe happened on the play that Ceresna caught him low. Now Ceresna was fined the maximum amount, which is the same thing that Chris Edwards got fined, a half a game salary for that hit. It is. I thought he showed a lot of potential at quarterback in that game. Uh, he was definitely excited. You could see the team kind of rallying behind him. And he he played a great game, I think, for someone with his first CFL start. It's unfortunate when you have quarterbacks that have the potential to maybe work to a starter role at times, uh, go down with an injury like that that's, you know, potentially season end. Well, it is season ending, if not career ending. It is a tough loss. Terry Adams brought a lot of energy he was dancing to the music behind the line of scrimmage before the snaps. One thing that really impressed me about his game was him being the lead blocker on Demontre Tuggle's rushing touchdown. You don't see that often with a quarterback. He was in the play and led the way into the end zone, which I thought was fantastic. Unfortunate to see the season ending so early. The good news for the Ottawa Red Blacks is that Jeremiah Mazzoli is slated to make his first start of the season this week. So it's a matter of, of one potential up-and-coming star out and one proven star back in the lineup for the Red Blacks. Second down. Just three games over the long weekend in Canada in the Canadian Football League. It's something that a lot of people mused about, and I'm kind of in agreement would have been nice to have a game a night on the long weekend. Just the way the schedule fell this year, it wasn't to be. We start in Ottawa, where the Red Blacks break their home losing streak and get their first win of the season with a 26-7 win over the Edmonton Elks. Ottawa full marks for the win. As we mentioned, Tyree Adams led them to that win. Adams with... 14 of 20 for 185 yards and a touchdown. 
His opponent was Jarrett Dagey, and if that last name means anything to you, there was a Seth Dagey brother that played for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for a little while, a couple of years ago. Jarrett, the younger brother, 19 of 39 for two, uh, 23, but three INTs, and we're going to find out how interceptions especially impacted this weekend. The Elks overall couldn't get their running game going. Ottawa's defensive line controlled that. Daigie seemed to be a little bit unsure of the reads that he was getting. On the other hand, Tyree Adams did not turn the ball over, and that was massive for Ottawa because if you look back to their first games, they struggled with turnovers. Quarterbacks making their first career start, as both of these teams had, protecting the football and establishing the run are are two factors that can help calm down a quarterback who's amped up for his first start. And we saw the opposite end of the spectrum in both those regards between Edmonton and Ottawa. The Elks with three interceptions and a failure to establish the run. Tyree Adams completed 70% of his passes for a touchdown, no interceptions. Demontre Tuggle had 126 yards on the ground. Jackson Bennett had another 44 and when he needed to run, Tyree Adams had three carries for 31 yards. So a strong and very established running game for Ottawa helped. Tyree Adams didn't have to do too much with his arm. And we saw Jarrett Dagey as the Elks fell behind, had to try to make things happen throwing the ball and got himself into some trouble. Teams rushing for over 200 yards have not lost a game this year. It's a telling stat I thought that Edmonton not only struggled on offense, though their defense has been a bit more of a strength for them in previous weeks. This week, they just didn't seem to be in that game. Uh, as you said, the, to, to let 200 yards rushing uh, occur tells you that something was breaking down in the game plan. I think the special teams for Edmonton also struggled. We saw some great returns from Ottawa and, and good, good on Ottawa. I think that they have a game now that they can build some momentum from in this game. And it does show that the the loss of Devontae Dedman is maybe not quite as crippling as we had feared. Brandon Dandridge has taken over on the punt returns and had 102 yards for 12.8 average. So a little bit of consistency there in that return game. Doesn't have the game breaker ability of a Devontae Dedman, but a capable returner will help the Red Blacks keep all three aspects of that of that team going in the right direction. The other thing we can't overlook, Ottawa's offensive line. Right now, they are the best in the CFL in terms of sacks allowed. They are leading the way in fewest sacks allowed. So that is huge. And especially when you've got Jeremiah Mazzoli coming back onto the field, he needs to be protected. They did it very well against... Edmonton, good crowd on hand for a team that hadn't won all year. They go away happy. Enthusiasm now abounds, and Ottawa plays Hamilton next. You have to feel good for those fans in Ottawa. It was a 13-game home losing streak going into this one, so to win and win in convincing fashion gave those fans a chance to cheer loud and to celebrate. Pretty much throughout that fourth quarter, things were looking pretty much locked up for the Red Blacks and a, a great atmosphere. Those Red Blacks fans continue on a, on a 
week in and week out basis to support that team through thick and thin. Moving over to Saturday night at Percival Molson Memorial Stadium in Montreal, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who have had a good go of it in Quebec lately, take on the Alouettes and defeat the Alouettes 17-3 in a night where the game was delayed an hour and 42 minutes by a severe storm that rolled through the area. In spite of that, fans made it back to the stadium. The players went out, but it looked to me, of the two teams, I would have thought Winnipeg, given the time zone difference, the travel, that they would be the ones coming out flat, and yet it was the Montreal Alouettes. Here's another team that, that really established the run and went, I think, very strong on the ground game in Winnipeg. Uh, they seem to be able to dominate Montreal. Brady Oliveira had 20 carries for 120 yards, and you throw in McRae with his uh, off-speed runs, put another 49 yards up. Uh, they also used their receiver, Rashid Bailey, for two runs and 12 yards. So a, a great job of dominating the line once again. When they struggled the week before against BC, in this game, Winnipeg came to play, and their line dominated, I think, both sides of the ball. Greg McRae stepped in for Nick Dembski, who was away for the birth of a child. So congratulations to Nick Dembski and family. Greg McRae has stepped in over the last couple of seasons off of the practice roster and has made things happen. He is a smaller guy, but dressed as that slot back to replace Dembski. He was used more as the running back than a receiver in this game, but a great change of pace to what Brady Oliveira brings in. And then just when you think you've got them figured out, they toss it to Rashid Bailey on a, a jet sweep or an end around pick up a few yards as well. So a, a real tough team to defend both against the pass and the run. He did manage to get 177 yards onto his total. Kind of pedestrian for him, but we've seen pedestrian from him succeed in the past. The other side of the equation, Cody Fajardo, he was 17 to 27 for 270 yards. You kind of think, well, he must have had a good night, except he didn't. He was happy feet. He was sacked five times. He just looked out of sorts at the best of time. He got a lot of those stats in the fourth quarter when Montreal was trying to rally. There was a huge interception that he tossed at the Winnipeg goal line that the camera happened to catch Jason Moss mouth. OMG, you kind of wonder what the meeting rooms are going to be like. I know Anthony Calvillo has been overlooked in all of this, but he's been a, a huge influence on quarterbacking in Montreal. What is he going to say to Fajardo? He's got to learn to settle down in the pocket. If he doesn't, he's going to be in for a long season. The knock is if you can get some pressure on him, he seems to have a one consistent move that a lot of teams have now figured out when he kind of steps right and rolls back to the left and, and uh, Winnipeg didn't fall for that. They were able to take him down a number of times and when they didn't get him, they certainly applied pressure and, and he kept him, as you say, jittery all night long. For the quarterback coming into a game who was one of the higher rated quarterbacks in the league in the first few games against a strong defense with good push, he folded pretty quickly and that was a knock in Saskatchewan. Five times he was sacked in that football game. I kind of thought that the Montreal offensive line was going to be a strong point. It certainly isn't proving out to be. Ottawa sacked him six times on opening night. And on top of the five sacks, we did have another pass knocked down by Willie Jefferson as well. So he has been 
one of the toughest defenders against Cody Fajardo over the last several seasons, and that certainly continued this week. Montreal's defense has played well, and limiting Winnipeg to 17 points was a pretty solid night. These were the first offensive touchdowns against that Montreal defense. So, so Winnipeg managed to find the end zone on two occasions, which no other team had done in the previous games this season. Willie Jefferson had a stellar night. Three tackles, two quarterback sacks. He was all over the place, and Montreal really had no answers for him. Now, if only he could have hauled in the reception on the botched field goal attempt, he would have also had a reception. He was targeted once for zero catches. This is the Winnipeg we've seen in the past, a team that even when offense is somewhat pedestrian, great running game, but somewhat pedestrian, uh, the defense really held them in the game. And, and, you know, if they can continue to assert that dominance once again, they will be a team to be reckoned with. They dominated the clock. They absolutely dominated the clock. They basically, uh, Oliveira, I don't know how many times he ran for 10 yards and first down. And that just keeps the clock moving and... Montreal, to their credit, as you said, only 17 points allowed. They gave up a lot of yards, but they managed to hang in the game. And that's been their hallmark. They've kept the team within proximity of winning. It's a question now if the offense can do their job. Final game, the game that everyone was kind of waiting for, the battle of the unbeatens, brought the BC Lions and their roadshow into Toronto at BMO Field to take on the Argonauts. Good crowd there. Twenty, Roughly 30% more people attended this game of importance this year than had attended the Winnipeg game last year at about the same time. So there is a growing number of, of people going to Toronto games. It's going to take time. But the Argonauts gave them everything they wanted, 45-24. to 24, And, of course, the big story of the night, Vernon Adams Jr., 6 interceptions. This reminded me of a game in the late 80s where quarterbacks just keep throwing it and throwing it, except he didn't have success offensively. I mean, he, his stats look okay when you look at 388 yards on 24 completions of 39 attempts. He had three touchdowns, but you can't throw the ball away six times and hope to keep your team in the game. It was one where Vernon Adams struggled as he had in the past. This year to this point, Vernon Adams seemed to be a much stronger quarterback than we'd seen in the past, but if he continues to make decisions like that, he's going to have a tough year. It was pointed out in the broadcast that the first two interceptions were kind of misreads of what the defense was doing, but I kind of think the last four were were him just pressing, throwing off the back foot, sort of falling away, not getting much on the ball, a pick six to end the tour, and it just compounded what was happening. One of the things that was brought out was that he gave away the game to Toronto, but I will push back on that. Yes, he threw six interceptions. Five times, the Argos had to do something with the football. If Toronto was settling for field goals the entire time, we've got a different uh, ball game that we're talking about today. But Toronto, to their credit, when in the score zone, finished the drive. They did. I believe it was 34 points off turnovers in that game. Only one of those was returned to the end zone. The rest of the time they were having to drive at least a partial length of the field, but some great interception returns got them into the 30 yard line and in. Uh, So giving 
Chad Kelly a short field to work with. Vernon Adams was really streaky within the game. Early on, he threw two spectacular spot-on touchdown passes to Dominic Rimes. And then late in the game, he was throwing directly to Argonauts defenders as opposed to his his receivers and just kind of looked lost out there. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the future. I, I'm a Vernon Adams fan. I, I love what he brings to the game, but he is a, a guy that's going to toss some interceptions as well. Uh, a one touchdown to two interception ratio isn't going to win you much favor with your with your coaching staff. So he needs to settle down a little bit, get back to what he does best. This hopefully for, for the sake of the Lions was a, a one-off performance by Vernon Adams and he can get back to running that offense efficiently. Chad Kelly for the Argonauts, 23 of 30 for 249. Chad Kelly is showing that he is the man they were looking for in Toronto to replace McLeod Bethel Thompson. He has stepped up. His uncle, Jim Kelly, made the trip from Buffalo to watch him play. You're right about the BC Lions. Vernon Adams is a streaky player. He either is really high or really low when it comes to his stats numbers. The thing that you need from him is the bounce back. You have to have a game where you make all these mistakes, you learn from your mistakes, and you continue to press forward. That's what's going to be needed of him. You think back to that season in 2019 where the Alouettes were pulling out fourth quarter wins left, right, and center. A lot of the times it was interceptions that got them in their holes. Sometimes it was interceptions in the fourth quarter that didn't allow them to make the comeback. So for Vernon Adams Jr., this is kind of his growth experience. You've got to put this one in its place. Understand decisions can be taken that are are more beneficial to your team, maybe taking a sack, maybe just throwing the ball away. What has impressed me most with Chad Kelly this year is he is not trying to do too much. He's taking what the defenses give him. It's reminiscent of Zach Kolaris' 2021 season with Winnipeg. They weren't blowing teams out of the water. He was throwing about 24 pass attempts a game and doing enough to win. And that's what I'm seeing from Chad Kelly this year. He's a very confident man. He is not afraid to take the pressure of being the starting quarterback and has stepped up and and excelled at what he's been asked to do. We'll see what happens as the season goes on and they get into more of a shootout game, whether he can keep his composure or whether some mistakes will start to creep in. But so far, I have been completely blown away by the game management ability of Chad Kelly. Robertson Daniel, three interceptions for the Argonauts. One, of course, for a touchdown near the end of the game. Interestingly, Jamal Peters, who was back in the lineup for the Argonauts, Lions kind of stayed away from his side of the field. A.J. Olette, who led the way for the Argonauts in rushing, basically played the game on one leg and just gutted it out. Overall, that was a pretty impressive game by the Argonauts, and I think they are forced to be reckoned with. I think they're going to be right in the running for the top team in the CFL after that game. I I went into the game expecting that BC would likely win. And, uh, you know, I think the Argonauts made a statement in this game that they are to be reckoned with. I think we can put to bed the argument that the East is so much weaker than the West that we've been hearing over the last several seasons. This week alone, two and one against Western teams. 
So a, a strong showing, and realistically, I would say the Argonauts, the Argonauts have earned the number one ranking in the league right now, and, and they are the team that other other teams are going to have to measure themselves against. They're the defending champs and have proven that it wasn't a fluke last year. Third down. Well, week five starts in Saskatchewan, where the Rough Riders host the Elks. As we noted in the opening, Edmonton's last victory came in Regina last September. The Elks haven't won a game since. The Rough Riders' last win was against Ottawa. Garrett Marino and Jeremiah Mazzoli come out of that game. Interestingly, it's almost a year to the date of that game. The Rough Riders did not win another home game afterward. Jeremiah Mazzoli's next opponent last year was to be the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Guess who he's coming off the bench to play this week? Rough Riders are seven and a half points favorite, but they're hurting. Their starting center, Peter Godber, is out. Jake Wanneke is out. It's compiling on them. The Elks, of course, Eugene Lewis is gone for this game. And as we noted, Taylor Cornelius who led the Elks to victory in Regina last year, is the starting quarterback. The, the key for me is to see how Saskatchewan's offensive line holds up here. They've lost two tackles in the starting center, and you know it, it's an area where they struggled last year. I think they're going to take this game. Even at 7.5 favorites, I think they should be able to cover this just the way the Edmonton Elks have been playing. But we've seen Chris Jones' team come out strong against the Riders numerous times. It could happen again this week. One of the strengths of Trevor Harris is his ability to get rid of the ball quickly. So that can offset some of the challenges that that offensive line will face. I agree with you, Pat. I'm taking the Rough Riders to win and cover the spread. I haven't seen enough from the Edmonton Elks really in any game this year to think that they're going to pull this one out. I the, the CFL is always unpredictable, so strange things can happen and, and will happen throughout the season. But right now, with what I've seen from the Edmonton Elks, they don't have the firepower to compete with the Rough Riders in this one. I'm not so sure. Edmonton were embarrassed a little bit in Ottawa. Saskatchewan, they're coming off a bye. They Bye teams have won every game so far in 2023. Edmonton to me, is a little bit more of a pit bull in a very tough situation, and it needs to fight back. And if they want to be even considered in the playoff race, it has to start this week. Throw aside the losing streaks. Rough Riders, seven straight at home, Edmonton seven, or seven overall. It's irrelevant now. One of those is going to come to an end. If Edmonton beats Saskatchewan, all bets are off on what happens in the West. If Saskatchewan wins, they've got the season series. Trevor Harris has got to play a strong game for Saskatchewan. I'm going to say the Riders win, but not cover. Friday night, Calgary goes to Winnipeg to take on the Blue Bombers. Winnipeg, huge favorites in this game. 7.5 to the good. Twice in Winnipeg, the Stampeders had game-winning points in their grasp and didn't finish. An interception in the end zone and a short field goal 
Calgary coming out of a bye is dynamite. They have been with Dave Dickinson ever since he's taken over as head coach. Mark and Michelle is back. Reggie Bagleton may be back. That helps to the receiving core. What Winnipeg Blue Bomber team are we going to see? The one that was very methodical and dominant in Montreal or the one that had their pants kicked off by the BC Lions? The Bombers have been an interesting team to watch this year. They put up 40 points a game in their first two and then struggled offensively in game three and realistically didn't put up huge numbers in game four either. The defense had their best showing against the Montreal Alouettes and their worst showing against the BC Lions. So if Winnipeg fires on all cylinders like they're capable of doing, they can and should blow most teams out of the water. I don't know if they're quite at that dominant stage yet. Uh, I am going to take the Blue Bombers to win this one, but not to cover. That's a, an eight-point spread is a, a pretty big spread. And as you mentioned, they have played some phenomenal and close football games over the past season. So I'm going to pick Winnipeg to, to win and not cover. I've been listening to you, Heath, on the podcast, and, and you speak of Jake Mayer being a quarterback that seems to struggle in the starting role. And I think that's going to continue. I, I just don't see where Calgary is going to be able to make the shift that they have. A week off may help them, Don, but I'm going to take Winnipeg to win and to cover this week. Interesting little tidbit of stats. Dave Dickinson in his coaching career is 74-31-2. Michael Shea of the Blue Bombers, 85-59. and 59. Yet... Dickinson is seven and eight against the Blue Bombers. O'Shea is nine and eleven against the Stampeders. I'd be hard pressed to believe that Jake Mayer is going to shake off everything that's happened so far this year and suddenly become the quarterback that he was last year. I think there's a growth that has to happen. This may be the beginning steps. Certainly against Saskatchewan, throwing that interception into double coverage in overtime didn't do anything for him, but. If he does learn from that, then it does do something for him. Still, I would pick Winnipeg to cover. Saturday night, Jeremiah Mazzoli takes the field once again. But the Hamilton Tiger Cats are favored by two and a half points. Just to give you a little bit of a tidbit on how these numbers are coming about, Typically, home teams get plus three for just being the home team. So if you look at a 2.5 favorite for the Tiger Cats, that means this game is pretty much a saw-off in the betting world. Even given that, I'm still surprised that Hamilton is favored at all. I don't understand why. Especially that Jeremiah Mazzoli, who probably will be very rusty, but this is his first opportunity to play in Hamilton since he left. He's going to be stoked emotionally. The Tiger Cats, where are they mentally? Where After the Edwards situation, the Chris Edwards situation in, against Montreal, where are they in their, in their locker room? Is it divisive? Are there people looking at Edwards and saying, what are you doing that for? Or are they cohesive enough to say, look, we're all human, we make mistakes, let's go forward? Uh, this, the, uh, uh, incidents like that can divide a locker room. If you've got something that's happening outside of the game that's impacting the locker room, it could be really crippling. And 
This is where Orlando Steinhauer really has to step up as a head coach. He's got to take control of this situation. The good thing for the Hamilton Tiger Cats is they had a week, a bye week in which to address all of those issues. I'm excited to see Jeremiah Mazzoli back on the field. He's one of those players that we are lucky to watch in the CFL, uh, an all-star caliber quarterback. It has been a long road for him back into the starting lineup, but Ottawa played really well in his absence last week, got a big emotional win. I believe that they ride that momentum into Hamilton and pull off the win in this one. So I'm going to take the Ottawa Red Blacks in the upset in Hamilton. If this game had happened in week one, I would have been picking Hamilton to cover that and easily. What we've seen out of Hamilton certainly hasn't been what was expected to come. A week off may help them, but I think Ottawa is a team that is gaining some momentum. We've been waiting for a number of years for Ottawa to take that next step. And I think getting their leader back in Jeremiah Mazzoli will be a big lift for them. So I too think that they're going to win. Ottawa's offensive line is superior to Hamilton's, but probably just marginally where I think Ottawa is much better is defensively. And for Matthew Schiltz, that's going to be a huge headache trying to pick his way through that defense. Trust that Ottawa will upset. Final game, the Alouettes head to British Columbia to take on the BC Lions on Sunday night. By the way, Sunday night uh, television numbers have gone way up. In fact, across the league, television numbers have gone way up since opening week, which is kind of like people coming out of the slumber, like, oh yeah, right, CFL. (laughs) And they're catching on now and even they always talk about how Saskatchewan provides a bump to the numbers where there was no Saskatchewan this last weekend. And yet Winnipeg and Montreal drew three quarters of a million. Alouettes are seven and a half point underdogs in Vancouver. Vernon Adams Jr. needs a bounce back game, but you still have that defense in BC and they get after quarterbacks. I think BC at home should have an opportunity to rebound after that last game. I don't think that Vernon Adams Jr. will have the same type of game. I think he's going to play a much stronger game. Seven and a half makes it interesting, though. Montreal has been a good team other than last week where they really struggled offensively. Uh, Yet, I I think BC should be able to win this one and, and cover. These are two of the best defenses in the league, as they have shown early on this season. I will give the edge to the BC Lions offense versus Montreal's offense. I am going to pick the Lions to win this one at home, but I think that Montreal defense keeps it close enough that BC does not cover the spread. Fortunately for Montreal, they're not playing at midnight in the fourth quarter in BC. The way the timing of this game is, it'll be close to Eastern Standard. Seven o'clock start for them, which is quite natural. Cody Fajardo has got to settle down in that pocket. If he doesn't, the Lions are going to mess with him all night long. And I trust, given that, the Lions will cover. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble Podcast, audio.
worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League Player and Game Statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.